Thank you everyone for joining us for this episode of Seward & Kissel's ESG Spotlight Series. I'm Debbie Franzese, a partner in Seward & Kissel's Investment Management Group and head of the firm's ESG Task Force. Before we get started, it's important to note that the discussions on this podcast are purely for informational purposes only and are not intended and shouldn't be considered to be any legal advice and no attorney-client relationship is being created by this discussion. For today's episode, I'm happy to be joined by one of my partners and the co-head of the firm's capital markets practice, Ted Horton. Ted, thanks for joining us today. To start with, why don't you tell us a little bit about your practice at the firm and how you work with clients? Thanks, Debbie. Um, well, I'm happy to be here today and to, and to be talking about this topic. Um, at the firm, our capital markets practice um, is largely based on representing issuers and underwriters um, in connections with both public and private uh, capital markets transactions. You know, the issues that we've been seeing on the ESG and on the ESG reporting side uh, have been particularly relevant to the public company clients that we have. And I think the recent um, you know, SEC proposed rules with respect to the climate change in particular are obviously directed uh, to the public company clients. So it's been a particularly significant issue for them as to how they're going to comply with this going forward. Obviously, there is a phase in period, but this is still a significant set of uh, rulemaking coming out of the SEC that is going to you know, significantly impact uh, pretty much all public clients, all public companies over the next couple of years. So Ted, obviously this is the first time that we've seen proposed rules from the SEC with respect to ESG, you know, following on some similar rules in, in Europe and some other jurisdictions. So this is, you know, really a, a big turning point for this type of disclosure in relation to U.S. companies. If you could just start by, you know, telling the audience what exactly is included in these disclosures, you know, what is this going to look like and what, you know, documents does this really affect for public companies? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I think on the actual requirements for what the disclosures are going to be going forward, I think they can be, um, they can be categorized into sort of four general areas in no particular order from the way the SECs adopted them. You know, the documents that this is going to affect, I'll actually start there. This is one of the significant changes, um, I think, from the U.S. reporting regime. So the SEC, when adopted, these rules will require this information to be disclosed in, um, in the public company's annual reports on Form 10-K or Form 20-F if they're a foreign issuer and in their uh, SEC registration statements. And the significance of that um, in contrast to where certain of these disclosures are already made public by a number of public companies in the forms of ESG or sustainability reports that are released but not filed with the SEC, is that the companies will incur liability uh, on these statements and on the information that's included in these statements. Um, so that is a significant difference. Uh, as far as the substance of the, uh, the disclosures, um, you know, to sort of in a very broad overview, there's sort of four main areas. Um, the, the first is, is the so-called greenhouse gas, uh, global greenhouse gas emissions, or the GHG, which is something that um, many companies and investors are familiar with. There's a regime um, that is adopted, as you mentioned, Debbie, in Europe under the TCFD, which is the uh, Task Force on Climate Financial Disclosures. 
um, which talks about GHG, GHG disclosures. And there's essentially three different categories that are required to have the disclosures. One is, uh, the first is the so-called scope one, and that is the owners, the issuers directly owned or controlled operations. Uh, resulting emissions. Scope two uh, relates to relates to the greenhouse gas emissions related directly to the energy or other resources that are purchased or acquired by the issuer from third parties. And then the scope three emissions or scope three greenhouse gas emissions are those emissions that result from the uh, indirect upstream or downstream activities of the issuer. Um, in either the distributions of their products or the use of their goods and services. And you know, not surprisingly, that, that scope three uh, category is the one that's most difficult for the issuers uh, to, to be able to assess and to comply with because it really is outside of their control. The second sort of category of disclosures is going to be financial statement, um, impacts on the financial statements. And this is a requirement um, to include the impact of, of particular climate change events or characteristics on specific uh, financial statement line items. You know, an example of this would be if there's going to be an impairment charge because of a product or a good becoming obsolete or because of it being affected by location and rising sea levels, for example, that would be a direct impact on that. And the other changes um, would be, you know, for example, for useful life of a product is going to be made obsolete because of environmental changes that would have an impact on that. And they also, the financial statements will require additional disclosure on expenditures relating to mitigating um, climate change risks and other weather events as the SEC calls it. The other, this, the third area that I, I referenced is um, what I'm calling disclo uh, governance disclosures. So these are going to be requirements that spe relate specifically to what the issues, issuer is doing in the boardroom and at the management level in terms of its assessing uh, climate change risks, making any decisions with respect to mitigating those climate change risks. And this is really some very specific disclosure with respect to how many times this is discussed at board meetings who has the experience at the board level to make these assessments. It's really very specific compared to what is typically seen on sort of governance disclosures. Uh, the final and the, the fourth um, area is sort of the catch-all provision, which is the qualitative disclosures. It's referred to as the qualitative disclosures. And this is really a, a, a section which discusses what the impact will be of climate-related changes on the business, on, on the company's business and on the outlook of the business. It'll include the risk factor disclosures as to where where the climate change how it how it affects the business what the risks are to the business and it also will be the the area which will pick up any discussions with respect to any targets that the issuers may have adopted with respect to meeting certain environmental standards or reductions in carbon emissions so at the high level those are sort of the four categories that that the issuers are going to have to comply with going forward that's great, Ted. I guess just a follow-up in relation to the kind of liability concern that companies might have. Do you think that in relation to some of this disclosure, it may actually lead companies to, you know, maybe have less ambitious targets than, you know, they had maybe previously set forth in statements? or other reporting to investors because, you know, now it's going to be in a public filing and they're concerned about, you know, various plaintiff's counsel or, you know, other 
people, you know, saying that there were, you know, omissions or misstatements and that maybe they didn't, you know, necessarily, you know, have the backup to make these statements. Do you think that that's, a, you know, a, a likely effect of this? I mean, it absolutely will be. I think because of the fact that, as you said, the plaintiff's lawyers will be looking at this disclosure. Obviously, there's going to be, you know, an effort to, to the extent possible and still be in compliance with the disclosure requirements is to, you know, is to be as both concise, I guess, is the nice way of putting it, be, be as concise and as limited as the information with the information that they, that they have to put out there. Um, I think that the, you know, the issue is not related, it's not simply related to targets and whether or not those targets are going to be met. I think one of the issues on this is that, and this has been one of the areas where, you know, there's, there's, I guess, controversy over whether this is sort of the, within the SEC's purview, but a lot of these disclosures, there is a view is that they may not actually be material uh, to an investor for a particular company. And you know, historically, SEC rulemaking authority and SEC um, regulations have always been on a materiality-based threshold. So it's essentially is disclosures that the issuer believes is material to investors. And if the issuer makes the wrong decision, then does not disclose information that was otherwise deemed to be material, then of course, then they would have liability on that. But it has been to the issuer to make that call. Um, one of the significant distinctions on this is that there is not a materiality threshold on this. So some of the information that's being required here, um, and I'm not passing judgment on whether it is or isn't, I think it's going to be very different for every issuer in every industry out there. Um, but one of the one of the criticisms of this is that a lot of this information itself will not be material to investors. But as you said, you know, will still be able to be, um, in theory, would be the basis for plaintiff's lawsuit to the extent that it is incorrect. So I think your 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 answer is yes. There will definitely be an attempt to mm -hmm. limit the amount of disclosures. But this is a very broad based disclosure regime, and I don't know that there's going to be a lot of opportunities for these issuers if it's adopted in its current form. Uh, to be able to cut this back very much. Yeah, so that'll be, you know, interesting. I think, you know, one of the things that we've heard from our investment manager clients, and this has been, you know, echoed in some of the comments that some large institutional investment managers made before the SEC's proposal when they had noted that they were considering this type of climate-related disclosure is really just kind of lack of consistency among different issuers and the kind of level of information that you were able to get about each public company really varied depending upon that company. Some companies were doing very detailed sustainability reporting and others it was more difficult to find that information so do you think that you know from kind of an investor's standpoint as you know kind of either a hedge fund or a private equity fund manager and maybe we can talk about how that might be a little bit different for each of them but do you think that this is going to provide managers with kind of more consistent information across companies to compare them or is there still a lot of you know kind of variability in, in how people might disclose this information. And then I guess that's kind of a, a second part to that question for maybe portfolio companies that are private that are thinking about going public, you know, what are maybe some things that they should be thinking about in connection with these disclosures? Well, I think on the, on the first point, I, I do think it's an intention of the SEC. In fact, it's a very expressly stated as one of their intentions. And I think it will bring consistency uh, to this to this area. 
of, of public company disclosures. One of the things that the term greenwashing that is, is thrown around right now has been a concern, I think, for the SEC is that um, you know, there, there has been this opportunity for, for companies to sort of greenwash their, their businesses, and it's been difficult to assess that. So I think that like any regime, it takes some time, there's some growing pains over the first couple of years as to sort of what this disclosure starts, sort of look like, starts to look like, and for the industry to coalesce around sort of a form of that. But I think that once that does happen, the, the, the answer is yes, this will significantly, it will bring significant sort of uniformity to these levels of disclosure for issuers. And that will be very helpful to, to managers um, and to other ones that are trying to assess, you know, the, the true green bona fides of, uh, of, of the companies out there. So yes, I, this, this will bring the uniformity to that. Um, and Debbie, with, with respect to the second question um, as to sort of how these should be evaluated by you know, current private companies that might be considering going into the public markets, um, you know, I think, Obviously, this is going to add um, to their disclosure um, obligations. It's going to be one more piece of sort of being a public company that they're going to have to include. Um, I, I think that generally the, the analysis that a company is going to make about whether it makes sense to go to become a public company in the U.S. capital markets, um, it's not going to significantly change that assessment. Obviously, there are significant advantages to being public and there's significant cost to being public. Um, so it just, it marginally increases what those disclosures are going to be, but I don't think it would likely change the decision of a company to go or not to go public as a, as, as sort of as a strategy going forward. You know, I think one of the things that, one of the things that these rules are, are going to disparately impact different companies um, is going to depend on, you know, sort of what existing infrastructure, existing capabilities they have to comply with these today. Um, if you look at existing public companies, some of the larger companies or some of the companies that are more focused on sort of their environmental impact from, from being relevant to their business already have some very significant uh, investment in their environmental disclosures. Um, if you look to existing ESG reports or sustainability reports for a number of companies, I think that the, the substantive information that's going to be required in these new proposed rules again, if adopted in some similar form to this, is already out there. So they, they have the capabilities to put those into place and to prepare that information already. Obviously, if it's going to be filed in a public, um, in a public filing with the SEC, it adds the liability issue that we discussed before, but the preparation of that will not be, not be a significant added burden for them. In contrast to that, uh, there's a number of companies that are smaller companies that are not, are not as focused on sort of their environmental impact that um, do not have those capabilities. And so that's going to be, you know, I think an entire sort of new area of reporting that's gonna to have to be built out for these companies and likely be new hires with people that have the expertise in this particular area to make these assessments. And it's gonna be much more burdensome on that. Um, obviously new companies that are going into the public markets, again, this might be a, a new line of, you know, this is gonna be another category of sort of expertise that they're gonna to have to bring on board to do that. I think you know the other areas on sort of the burdens on this is the the there's an attestation requirement um, that is going to be applicable to the greenhouse gas emissions, and that's one of the areas that really is very new. Who those third party experts will be that can attest to those numbers has not been discussed by the SEC. Um, it's obviously going to have to be sort of a, a new industry, if you will, 
of people who have the expertise to do that. And it's just not clear today how many of those people are there and, and how difficult it will be or how expensive it will be um, to retain those people in order to meet those attestation requirements. So there's a lot of variables and unknown in, in terms of exactly what compliance is going to look like and require going forward. But I do think that you know, as, a, as a fair point is that the larger existing companies, this is not a brand new regime for them. They do have a lot of this in place. Yeah, to, just to follow up on the attestation, is that something that you think, you know, some existing service providers like audit firms and things like that will be, you know, trying to hire individuals, maybe kind of, you know, walled off or, or separate from the audit function, but in order to do that, or do you think that it's going to kind of be, you know, different types of companies that'll be focused on that? I mean, the answer is I don't know. I think I think it is likely that there's certainly nothing that would prohibit the audit firms from from doing this, and they would be a likely source of this service. And as you said, it would probably be sort of a, a separate group or consulting arm that would have the ability to do this. Um, but they would certainly constitute as an independent third party and can do it. Um, I, I do suspect that there will also probably be a new niche market. Um, you know, just service providers who are able to look at this and to do these assessments and provide that services similar, similar to, you know, for example, what you have in compensation consultants today, right? There's a market around that for public companies to provide those services. So I expect it'll be a combination of both. Um, I think the issue is anytime you have a brand new regime like this, it's just how quickly you're able to get that, that infrastructure up in place and whether it will be able to meet the demand um, for all the public companies that will start to have these reporting obligations again under the current timetable, starting with their 2023 reports, which seems like it's a long time away, but two years in, in many respects is, is not a lot of time to get that built out. No, definitely. Um, and I, you had mentioned earlier that this is going to impact, you know, both U.S. issuers and then also foreign issuers. Are there differences between the requirements for those or are they largely treated the same under the proposals? No, under the proposals, they are treated the same. Um, the SEC was clear is that they're not, you know, in many examples on these regimes, they do allow companies to have either lighter disclosure or follow home company rules. But in this case, they will be equally applicable to domestic and so-called foreign private issuers. Yeah, they may be a little bit ahead with some of the disclosure that they've had to do for other jurisdictions anyway. So. In, in this instance, that may actually be the case mm -hmm. is that some of the Europeans are probably going to be more familiar with this. I think that's right. Um, okay, great. Well, I think this has been a great discussion, Ted. I mean, do you, as far as the, you know, proposal, maybe you could just let people know kind of, you know, what the next steps are and, you know, when we, you know, anticipate that this might go into effect? Yeah, no, as, and as I alluded to, so the, the current timetable and, and, and is, is that this will be, um, it'll be a phased in period. And so we'll start to be phased in with respect to the issuers annual reports uh, for fiscal year 2023. So for fiscal year end uh, companies that have a 1231 fiscal year end, that will be their annual reports filed in 2024. And it will, um, that will be for the larger uh, filers. And then for the smaller file, filers, it will be phased in over the following two years. In addition, there's going to be some phase in periods for the greenhouse gas emissions requirements that we talked about that will again be based on the size of the issuer. You know, I think one of the things I think though that has to be sort of recognized as part of this conversation is that these proposals 
really are very, they're very significant. And part of that is that they're significant both in terms of the substance that's there. Um, they have also been heavily criticized in terms of whether they actually exceed the scope of the, you know, the authority, I guess, of the SEC to put these into place, as I alluded to before. So I, I think that there is an expectation is that in contrast to more mundane, you know, proposed disclosure proposals that the SEC has made, these are likely to be challenged. There have actually already been some um, attorney generals in certain states that maybe host some of the energy companies have already threatened to challenge these based on a legal basis. They will obviously be subject to a the comment period where the industry participants will participate. So I, I think that um, it's it's you know, nothing to my knowledge, nothing has come out yet as far as direct challenges, but I, I do think that there is a very good chance that these will either be pushed out or that the, the final rules will be, will be different from what they are today. That said, I think that, you know, the, there's definitely sort of a, an appetite for these types of disclosures. And I think that the, the pressure is both from the investing community, from institutional investors generally, um, and, and also I think from many issuers themselves, there is momentum behind this. So I think it's it's almost certain that something significant is going to result from this. But I just do caution people is that it may not look like the proposed rules that we saw come out last month, and it may or may not be on this timetable. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely interesting for people to know. And we'll, we'll have to see what the final rules look like and what the, the time periods look like. I think, you know, this has been, you know, very significant for the SEC to make these proposals. For public companies, we'll see, you know, where that also leads if there are, you know, similar proposed rules in relation to either registered investment companies or investment advisors, you know, later this year or next year as well. I think, you know, historically in the investment management space, Base. It's been similar to what the SEC has done with public companies, where it's been left to, you know, kind of the manager's decision as to what's material and what information they're going to include. And so it'd be interesting to see if the SEC takes the same view with respect to managers to say that, you know, they think that this is, you know, as a fiduciary, this is material for you and you should be considering it or telling it clients why you're not. And so, you know, it remains to be seen what, what they'll do in that space as well. But Ted, I guess just any, you know, last pieces of advice or things that you think any, you know, public companies should be aware of with respect to this? Do you think that they should start, you know, kind of preparing now for this, even though it may be subject to change? I do. I mean, the advice, you know, the conversations that we're just starting to have with this is yes, is, is it should be, we can't wait to see what the final rules are going to be. I think companies do have to start preparing for this. As I said, some of them are doing this anyways. There's been a steady increase in, in sort of the importance and the focus paid on sustainability reports um, in the history reports already. So I think that that's going to continue and it will start to be geared uh, towards disclosure that will meet these requirements. And I think, as we said before, I think that, you know, the, the, the attestations and lining up sort of the providers for this is something that companies are also starting to look at today. Um, and hand in hand with that is, is looking at this again with the eye that this is now going into very public filings that incur the liability. So most of the issuers took sustainability reports very seriously, and I would not suggest that there was sort of any sort of mistakes in those that they weren't properly vetted, but it certainly puts a finer point on that, that they need to start to look at this. 
Definitely. So, well, thank you, Ted, so much for joining us today. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of our ESG Spotlight series. And then, Ted, once the rules come out and they're final, we can have you join us again to talk about those. So, I hope that will be later this year, but we will see. But thank you, Debbie.